home prices to income. That has gone astronomically wide. And that is the main driver when we look at affordability. So there's a lot of things that are currently affecting middle class and especially my generation millennials. And as we see with real estate, the pricing both for individuals as well as commercial is very much affected by interest rates. And the worst part about this is the very people that the government says they're helping is actually hit the hardest. What's up everybody? Today we're talking about interest rates, the overall commercial real estate and the risk to the banking sector. We have a lot of information that we're gonna look on on what's happening in commercial real estate, all the discussions about the commercial real estate crisis and how maybe that could affect banking and how valid is this concern? And what does that actually look like in terms of numbers? And we're gonna go through it. Remember that these things move in cycles. So the economy expands and it contracts, and that's largely due to overall money supply, productivity, and investments that are coming in. So the America has a huge, massive attraction for outside capital, and we have been spending like bananas for years, ever since 2008. Normal market cycles are really dictated by short-term cycles overlaid by really long-term cycles that is driven by that capital expansion in the form of debt. Now, real estate are prime drivers of debt products because they have so much debt. Now, all real estate basically out there has debt and it's done in different ways, not like your traditional 30-year mortgages, which is very unique. Most people don't know, but that's an American thing. A 30-year mortgage is a very special product. In fact, that is the largest reason, I believe, for wealth within the middle class in the United States. Uh, outside the obviously largest economy in the world, great business and investment opportunities for Americans. The 30-year mortgage has allowed them to own homes and have a start date and an end date that works and is payable at the beginning and will be paid off at the end. And with inflation and as prices, goods, services go up and so do incomes, that payment actually becomes more affordable along the way. This puts them in better cash flow positions, but also equity positions later on. Now, you may be saying, AJ, that's great, but that is a baby boomer thing, meaning that us millennials, we don't have opportunities like that anymore. Now, I want to first remind everybody that we can't look at investment cycles in snapshots and dictate that that one snapshot is brought across all different planes of time. Meaning that while some things are harder for certain periods in certain generations in one period, it doesn't naturally mean that it was easier for baby boomers at their time. Few examples that we've shared with in the past, the average home size has literally doubled. Homes are way nicer, meaning 30% of homes, you know, in our parents and grandparents' time, only 30% even had full utilities. We have granite countertops. We have all of these amazing things, and houses on average are at minimum twice for three times the size of our grandparents' age. Also, there was less access, meaning home ownership has grown. Now, home prices to income, that has gone 
astronomically wide. And that is the main driver when we look at affordability, meaning that how much we make compared to the cost of houses. But you also have to remember that you were talking about a time where our parents lived through it 18% interest rates, meaning that for up until the last year here, your payments were historically outrageously affordable. 30-year mortgages at 3%, even though the house was more in comparison to cost to income, the payments were less. Now, that has obviously changed because of rising interest rates. And that has changed that wildly because now it is very unaffordable. It's very unaffordable for the masses. And we're also in a position where we don't have homes. We've been underbuilding to the tune of millions every single year. So there's a lot of things that are currently affecting middle class and especially my generation, millennials. Now, home ownership being a major driver of wealth in the United States does come and go through different cycles. It goes up, it goes down, credit contraction, expansion, your overall cost to income. Uh, we are in a period of unaffordability for the greatest meaning the largest, not the greatest, the largest generation since the baby boomers. And we are larger than the baby boomers by a lot as far as total numbers go. In fact, we are the largest in this generation. We have the largest population as a percentage in the United States of any country in the world. That is a huge economic driver. These people are moving in key consumption eras. And it also happens to be triggered in a time where we now have an affordability crisis in housing. That is really bad timing. We have high demand. We have now millennials who, after 2008, said, don't buy homes. That's stupid because they saw what it did to their parents. And a lot of them lost all their homes. Now, they had this idea that buying home was stupid, rent. Now they all grew up and now they want homes because they want to build a life. They want to have kids, families. They actually want to stay in one spot. And that caused huge demand. Now, the timing sucks, but it won't stay. These things come and go, but it may be bad for a while. In fact, I do think it will be bad for quite a while. And as we see with real estate, the pricing, both for individuals as well as commercial, is very much affected by interest rates. That's why when we're talking about commercial and the effects that interest rates have on commercial, it's big. It's really big. But the effects on it generally are in the market of the asset. What does that mean? In commercial, unlike residential, where residential, it is simply affordability and what I want to own. Commercial is a business. It produces income and it's an asset that they buy and sell and value is not derived solely because of the market and what it'll pay for it, but also because of what it generates. That usually means there is a range within acceptability that people will buy and pay. If it makes X amount of money, I can afford X to receive X. Now, markets get out of whack when we see massive government intervention, as is what has happened after 2008, as well as during COVID. Uh, government intervention at a scale we've never seen, which created a lot of incredibly uh, dire affordability issues in the United States. 
And the worst part about this is the very people that the government says they're helping is actually hit the hardest. The lower middle and lower class, uh, inflation's devastating. These, these rising prices for grocery, gas, the basic things, they're devastating on the people that cannot brunt those costs. And that is taking out a whole level of middle class. And the middle class looks like it's getting a lot smaller. What it takes to be in the middle class. What do we even view as the middle class in the United States? Inflation can really, really take that out. The inflation of not just housing, but everything, every little thing that we do. Now, that's also combined with other economic struggles and problems that we have seen since the Great Recession and financial crisis. These things have led a lot of people to be very, very nervous, obviously, because if we do have a hiccup at uh, levels that are unaffordable, what are we going to do? Now, it's important to understand that this is a chicken and egg thing, meaning that the Fed, although why it's worried about consumers, also wants unemployment to rise. Because in order to help the whole, they have to have unemployment go up so overall demand lowers. Because inflation is driven by too much demand chasing goods and services, rising the price. Really, too much capital, which requires too much demand. Well, when people don't have jobs, they don't have capital. And the Fed is very open about it. They are trying to force a recession, and they want unemployment to go up. In fact, they're very frustrated that their higher interest rate moves has not resulted in lowering demand. And they were very shocked by the jobs report that just recently came out because it blew away anyone's expectations on what we thought would be job uh, filings and unemployment is just so low. This is causing labor crisis in the economy and the Fed is actively trying to stop this and it's not working. That's why you'll see markets go down when you have good numbers to report because what they're afraid of is that these good job numbers and the economic growth that you see is concerning. So the Fed's going to do things to slow that down. So that people get nervous. That's why you'll see stocks fall because they say, oh, the Fed is going to get more involved to try to end this party because that's what the Fed does, right? They created the party and then they want to end it. Even more importantly, in a world where these things are not remotely taught to the average American, um, in fact, they have to really scour to try to find this information out. And it's more of a personal interest path. I was always very interested in economics. I was always very interested in why people did what they did and how governments interact with them and how markets work and capital work. So I like to read and I like to understand a lot of these things. And then I like to put it into practice being a capital allocator. Weirdly, that's what I always wanted to be. Growing up, I wanted to manage money. It's a weird thing, I guess, for kids to want to be. I did not want to be a fireman. Uh, I'm very interested in how these things build and destroy nations. The financial sector of any country is the underpinning of all economic growth. Hence the reason why being the world's reserve currency really, really helps us out. Because essentially, our financial sensor, uh, center in the United States is the world's financial center. How the banks are affected here will result in how banks are affected everywhere. The dollar is the reserve currency, and no, that's not going away. Doesn't mean that it won't. 
all countries grow and all countries die eventually. And if you're too stupid for too long, it will collapse. But as of right now, we're not in a good spot. But we're not worried about losing the world's reserve currency. There's not even a second place remotely close to even back it up. Meaning that in a neighborhood full of crappy houses, eh, we're the better one. The fi financial sector, though, debt products and the crash of real estate markets, as we learned in 2008, can affect the health of the financial sector. When a lot of people look at that and now the news and people are talking about a commercial real estate sector that is doing really bad and people are really worried about it due to higher interest rates, changing values, the fear of not being able to refinance or sell products, and you have offices that are the office sector that are struggling, as well as other commercial real estate asset classes that are struggling, people wonder, is this going to hurt the banking sector? That's one of the things we want to talk about. When we look at, first of all, the look at it by the numbers, we realize that we've risen rates, well, the Fed's risen rates 11 times since March. Inflation has gone down from 9% to around 4%, but their target rate is 2%. So we're still, we're got about 50% more to go on that. Um, and they are proceeding carefully because the Fed's doing this as they walk a fine line. We call it a soft landing. We're hoping that they're landing this ship uh, or this plane and it's not going to crash upon impact. So can they do this? Can they contract the money supply? Can they get rid of inflation and not take everyone down with them? That's what they're trying to do. But certain sectors are hit, obviously, more severe than other sectors. Uh, first ones are risky assets. We see this in private equity and technology. Immediately, you have companies that are startups and they are high cash burning companies that are affected. They burn a lot of cash, they need a lot of cash and tightening hurts those sectors. Now, the other one are sectors that are primarily dependent on debt like commercial real estate. Now, the commercial real estate sector in the United States is massive. It's like $23 trillion. But that represents only 14% of all bank assets. And office space doesn't even represent 4% of asset exposure for the banking sector. If we look at the makeup of this debt, we have about $2.56 trillion in commercial property debt that will need to be refinanced over the next four years. Now, that seems that number seems astronomical, but you also have to remember we're talking about $25 you know, trillion. Not only that, you have to remember that all debt turns over, meaning that it's not like we have this ginormous lump sum that like nobody planned on and no, debt is constantly turning over. So over the next four years, we have 2.5 trillion. Well, okay, well, the next four years, we'll probably have something similar, right? That's actually normal. This isn't it, it, like we have these headlines that are say over $2 trillion in the next four years are going to come due and it makes it catastrophic sounding. Now, it's not good because interest rates, so there what we're looking at is, okay, we're in a high interest rate environment. That debt is needing to be refinanced over the next four years, this $2 trillion, and it's going to be harder to refinance than obviously free money or 3% is. But just because it's 3%, it's 
7%, not 3%, doesn't mean that they're going under or they're going to go bankrupt. It doesn't mean that they don't have refinancing options. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean $2 trillion is going to burst. Even if it did, once again, as we talked about before, exposure in a four-year period of time of $2 trillion to the banking system, crazy enough as that seems, isn't catastrophic. All we understand is that it's an astronomical sum of money. Now, when we look at, though, the bank's uh, the tightening and lending standards over commercial real estate, um, as we've seen it, the major spot that people are worried about is office space due to the asset is struggling on fundamentals, not just on the debt side. When we look at uh, office space, it accounts for $748 billion or 17% of the $4.5 trillion in outstanding commercial loans. For banks, the total CRE losses could be $60 billion, including $26 billion in office loans. That's a lot of money. But you also have to remember how much that represents of the assets that are being held by banks. So the question is, will that cause banks to fail? Is that a catastrophic amount that's going to take down these banks? Now, out of the distressed market, so that means debt that we're looking at in commercial real estate that is in distress or they're worried about it being able to refinance because of fundamentals, loss of value, 41% of the $79 trillion, or trillion, whew, billion dollars, 79 billion dollars that they're worried about is office 41 percent. so that that class office is the struggling part in the commercial real estate sector the key underpinning to the fundamentals is despite the fact that we've had an addition of two million in office jobs in the united states alone since 2020 that sector has still shed over 200 million square feet of occupied space. That's a lot of space that is not occupied and that is not needed. So because of that, we saw slips in valuations. And now coming on that interest rate that it has to refi into after a lot of these refied into historical lows during the COVID pandemic, um, that's a big problem, right? People are really, really worried about this. As uh, McKinsey estimated, by 2030, the excess supply of office space will range from 7 to 21% across most major cities. They're just not seeing a return to the fundamentals. And even after we've had a surge in return to office after 2020, it's still not meeting what is needed. So the question then becomes is how will they use up that space? Um, now, the total sales. If you look at an estimated total dollar volume of a million or more in commercial real estate in the first half of 2023, that is down nearly 53% from the first half of last year. Now, that's a staggering amount. 53% the market is down on transactions over a million dollars. But it's also off from the previous year. 
which was an outstanding year in transactions happening. So I do think it is a little over-exaggerated, um, meaning you're taking that low from another high. So the spread is, I think, a little larger than we would you would think. So comparing sales in the first of 2023 with the first half, half of last year, the total dollar volume of properties um, over 20 million was down 60%. What we are seeing in commercial real estate right now is that the big stuff is down way more than the small stuff. And we're seeing that across self-storage as well as other assets. It's disproportionate. So transactions, properties valued over 20 million, it was down 60%, right? Now that is clearly due to obviously the debt and the sales and people being able to acquire properties that big and what that debt looks like under high interest rates. So the problem with that, when you look at office space, what we're talking about here is that when you need to refinance, there's not a lot of options for those people to sell. The market is down considerably. So they're now having to refinance into higher interest rates, but you do not have a market where you can just say, well, we're just gonna sell it and get out of it so we don't have to worry about it. That means they are going to be stuck with needing to refinance and if needed, restructuring or some other kind of mode to adjust this. Now, overall, when we look at these other uh, asset classes, we do not see anywhere near the same um, distress or breakdown in commercial real estate as office, uh, industrial out of the 22.3 billion uh, quarterly volume, year over year price changes only fell by 2%. Uh, multifamily was actually one of the bigger one at 28 billion in the second quarter of 2023, went down 11.7%. Apartment transactions were 17% below the average in 2023 um, with um, $10 million and above, almost 20% off of the average. The same thing, even industrial, multifamily, all CRE, down on transaction volumes. Uh, but office was the big boy where we had office change year over year prices, um, went down about 8%. The big part with office though is office space was already not doing well. So that wasn't something that was booming. That wasn't something people were already bullish about. So there's a lot of debt needing to turn over. So once again, when looking at the overall market in commercial real estate, total bank debt by that class, which is multifamily, office, industrial, retail, hotel, healthcare is 24% office accounts for 14% of the 24% and multifamily is a whopping 50% of the debt that is being held by banks in the commercial real estate sector. And we have about $60 billion that is currently looks like it could be in trouble within the banking system. Now the banking system is a $23 trillion industry. Now, 60 billion sounds like an incredible amount, but when you look at it in terms of the entire system and the overall exposure to the system, um, it is not looking like a scenario in which we have 
especially not a 2008 level crisis. Most of the debts are held in the bond market. These are non-recourse debt that banks collateralize and sell off in bonds. So yes, it's not good. Office space has a huge segment that is in distress that needs to be figured out. Now, they've also asked, the Biden administration has asked banks, said if there is trouble to work with the owners of the debt, the holders of the debt, and to literally just push it off. So they said, hey, we don't need any problems right now. Don't take the assets. Don't foreclose. Push it off. Work with them, to which the banking sector agreed upon. This is an area in which the economy is very nervous about and very familiar with because of 2008. So there's a lot of eyes looking at it. And that's why when I see headlines like commercial real estate is going to end the banking sector and it's going to be a financial crisis because commercial real estate is just going to go down, I kind of zoom out and say, hold on here. I We're not seeing that. Um, I, I just don't think that that's going to occur. I mean, anything could happen. But overall, most commercial real estate assets are cash flowing healthy assets. Single family homes didn't produce income. They were just owned by people that couldn't make the payments. And so they foreclosed. Commercial real estate has underlying revenue that they actually pay. And most of that revenue has gone up substantially over the last three or four years. In fact, most of these assets have exploded in value in the last five years. So the debt to equity is low on lots of them. We have income balanced. It's not the same asset or product type. So if they are struggling, they do have capital and there may be re restructuring, but a lot of that would come on the equity side, not the debt side. Meaning there's a lot of situations where investors that directly invested into those assets could be wiped out, but the banks, that would take even more. Outside of office, there's obviously distressed assets that they're gonna have to work through. Okay, so everyone, remember, there is cycles in the economy and the money supply trying to make it go up has consequences, like inflation, trying to get the money supply down has consequences like restructuring and debt problems because you're changing the cost of debt and the cost of money and the underlying assets therein are affected by it. This is the thing that I've been talking about for two years now. And there's things you can do to make sure that you don't get hurt. Mainly, be a long-term capitalist, not a short-term one, because capital allocation should be done through fundamentals and over the long term and set debt products that are structured for long-term cycles so you don't get caught by a value trap, as I call it. Meaning that you have a trigger that value now, or the market value, dictates what will happen. Refinance, a sell, contracts that expire, and then the market is valuing that asset at a low amount because the price that it would trade for as an asset on the market, not the underlying fundamental business and cash flow of it, is down. So you may have a good, healthy, cash-flowing asset, but your value will be lower because of the market to buy and trade the asset. That's a value trap, and you're forced into it because you have to refi, you have to sell, you have to do something. 
and it's just not good timing, not good timing on the market. So get longer contracts, have longer time and make decisions within a long period of time, five, 10 years. That way you can hedge, you can work and you can prepare and you don't get stuck. Also remember that this tends to be the best time to start investing. This is a probably the best time that we will see in years. And I'm planning on it. We are investing right now. We are uh, getting ready to be investing more. And I expect that 2024 will not be the most deals we'll ever do, but probably some of the best. These are periods that actually separate you. They actually make you, just like after 2008 was. I can tell you right now that our deals that we are doing and have under contract, that we're right now uh, finishing up, are deals that we would have not gotten over the last five years, both in value and also terms and structures. When there are market effects that are affecting assets whose fundamentals may not have really changed, it's disproportionate. The market price is disproportionately affected to the asset's income or intrinsic value. When that happens, it goes on sell. The market is no longer valuing the value of that asset appropriately due to outside impacts. That means you can buy it at a discount. It's just harder to get them done and harder to find. But if you put in the work, it will reward you for a long, long period of time. So learn how, put in the work, and make your moves. We all wish we could have gone back to 2010. This isn't a great financial crisis, but commercial real estate definitely looks like it's going to be on sale and a lot of people are nervous about it. And that's when you should be running after it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hope this helps and talk to you next time.